uh, this morning. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge some of the kids that uh, turned in sermon notes uh, last week. I think I got like 30 kids here uh, who just did an amazing job getting all the main points, sub points from Craig's uh, sermon last week. And you know, I just saw this morning, I just want to acknowledge the kids. I'm going to read through these names just to encourage these kids in their work. I know some of you kids probably took your notes home and you wanted to talk about them. We love it when you post them. I love it if you bring them home. And so uh, the Lord knows who you are if you, took your, if you took notes and didn't turn them in. But I just wanted to uh, acknowledge some of these kids. Uh, Juliana Lim, Izzy Smith. Here's some notes with no name, so, but, but good notes. Looks like a, like a younger kid. Timothy Mock, Jane Copeland, Jojo Mock, Calvin Van Hoffwigen, Karina Papera, Lily Lim, Morgan Wynn. You know, I saw in here, Morgan wrote, if you walk with the Lord, you will never be alone. I just think, you know, young kids having these truths that they're learning at such a young age, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, Coco Mock, Ada Walker, uh, no, no name on these, nice handwriting though. Uh, <laughs> Coco Kaler, Ming Mei uh, Simonowski, um, no name on that one, but good notes. Lydia Rosenberg, nice pictures and thorough notes. Uh, Ava Kaler, very nice handwriting, very nice drawing. She says, earth is just eh without art. So that, that's also good. But she got the whole sermon too. Very good. And uh, Justice Hollister, uh, Charlotte Keel. This looks like uh, one of the Isaacs. So whichever Isaac, he knows who he is. Um, let's see, who's that? No, no name, but thorough notes on both sides there. Sarah Rosenberg, uh, Mackenzie Bosman. No name, but great picture and notes. Kaya Bosman, Molly Walker, uh, Helen Ayers, and, uh, and Miriam Keel. So uh, great job to these kids and to your parents. I know that you're helping them follow along, and this is good feedback for us as well as we're making sure our, our main points are clear and so everyone can follow along. But uh, I know it's, it's hard work to listen to these sermons. Uh, the, the text that we're looking at today is our Lord calling us to abide in his word. And that's what these kids are doing. That's what we, all of us as adults are called to do. And so an important passage on, on the, the need to have Jesus' word living inside of us. And so we're going to turn now to John chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we 
thank you for your word. And we long for your word to find a place in us. That your word would live in us and that we would dwell in your word. Find a home in your word. And so we pray that you would teach us, teach our minds, and we need your Holy Spirit um, to guide us into your truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we're talking about the topic of freedom. And, uh, you know, I think freedom is uh, one of the deepest longings of the human heart. You know, of course, we're Americans, and uh, for Americans, uh, freedom is one of our uh, deepest values. But I'll tell you, you know, just for me uh, personally, uh, the word freedom means so much to me because of some of my personal story. Um, I've maybe shared this with some of you before that when I was a, a kid from second grade to ninth grade, I had a, a best friend that lived up the street from me. I spent every day with him, and he pretty much had complete control over my life. Um, he made sure I had no other friends. I never called another friend without him knowing about it. Uh, I would go to his house, and I sat on the floor at his house every day because he said I'd get his furniture dirty. And uh, he told me I'd never have a girlfriend. He told me I'd never have any other friends. Actually, uh, one time we were out in public, and I didn't do what he wanted to do. And in front of all kinds of strangers, he punched me in the face. I was totally humiliated. And a day later, I was back at his house, and, uh, and I was trapped in this relationship. And... Um, as some of you know, when I was a teenager, I was sent away to a boys' behavioral modification school for a year and a half, you know, because my life was kind of falling apart. And uh, in this program, we went through these seminars. And in this seminar, you're kind of getting, in t getting back in touch with yourself. And at the end of the seminar, you make a statement that is, this is who you are as a person. And my statement through this long process and tears and everything was that I'm a loving and free young man. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things I didn't, believe in about this program, but that word, that statement to me now, this is like 20 years later, still, that I'm a free young man means more to me than I could even tell you. And I know that some of you sitting here probably have something in your life that you feel trapped in. I mean, it could be something I'm trapped in a job. It could be I'm trapped in an unhealthy relationship. It could be that I'm trapped in sin. There are sins in my life that seem to have control of me. They have me under their thumb. And if you've ever experienced that, the, the power of Jesus' words here, that for in so many cultures throughout the centuries have meant so much to people, the truth will set you free. What hope in those words that the truth will set you free? And, but what does it mean? Um, well, I think there, there's so many layers uh, to that statement. And I've uh, found Jesus' words here to absolutely be true in my own life. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at these famous words from our Lord and ask just two simple questions. What is freedom? And how can we experience it? What is the freedom that Jesus is talking about? And how can we experience it? And my hope is that this community here would be, a, first of all, a place where when people are here, they feel free. Whatever freedom is, they would feel it here. And this would be also a place uh, where people would find freedom, they find liberation, the liber liberation that Jesus is talking about. And so this morning, two simple questions on freedom, and the first is this. What is freedom? Now, 
that question, what is freedom, is a very ancient uh, question. I've been reading a book recently called uh, Why Liberalism Failed, which is not talking about kind of, you know, liberalism in the, the left, the political left in our culture. It's talking about, you know, the progressives. It's talking about classical liberalism. You know, it comes to the Latin uh, liber, which is free. And how do you have a, a free society? And, uh, and the author says in this book that one of the major shifts between the, uh, the ancient world and the modern world is in, the ancient, uh, is in their definition of freedom. Because in the ancient world, the, the you know, Greek philosophers like Aristotle and, uh, and Christian thinkers as well understood that freedom meant self-governance. And so being free meant you could govern your own passions. You didn't need a tyrant to rule over you and keep you in control. You had learned virtue in your life so that you could govern your own passions and you didn't need a government that took, took control of you. And so learning to become free came from all kinds of institutions like the family and schools and churches and, and cultural norms that taught you to be a self-governing free person. Now, when you hear that, you can just feel how different that is than the modern uh, understanding of freedom. So in the modern day, freedom is in, in our culture is about individual autonomy. It means I get to do whatever I want, basically. Uh, I can do whatever makes me happy, right? That's what the American freedom is, you know, the preserving life, liberty, and happiness. And the state is there to preserve my rights to be able to do what I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else, right? So you can see how radically different these two visions of being free are. You know, the ancient person says being free means ruling my desires, and the modern person says being free means satisfying my desires. So the question is, where does Jesus stand in his definition of freedom? Well, I would say he's closer to the ancients on that. But there's a couple things that I want to point out from this passage. When we ask the question, what is freedom, what does Jesus say about this? Well, the two things are that I think Jesus in the Bible tells us that we need to be free from our own sin. We need freedom from our own sin. And we need uh, freedom from the oppression of others. Two kinds of freedom that the Bible holds together that it says both of these are crucial. I want to talk about each of them, okay? So first, we need freedom from our own sin. And you see that how this passage begins in verse 31. So Jesus, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what does Jesus mean by freedom? Well, he tells us in verse 34, 34, uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus says that our deepest slavery is our own sin. And so freedom is not about, you know, being able to follow your passions and do whatever you want. It's actually about being set free from your passions. Your passions are the things that are binding your life and keeping you from freedom. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most basic beliefs uh, about in Christianity or in the Bible, the Bible teaches that all of us are born enslaved to sin. We have a sinful nature that, uh, that uh, controls our lives, and we have a sinful nature that we cannot say no to. And, you know, I, I think... Anyone can understand this from very early, a very early age. You know, I know when, uh, with my own children, when my wife and I would discipline our children and, and, you know, one of them would lie to their mom or slap their mom or something when they're three or four years old. And we'd, you know, bring them in the other room. We'd go through every time we're going to discipline them. And we'd talk to them and we'd say, 
don't you love your mom? And they're like, yeah, I love my mom. And they're like, well, why did you just slap her or lie to her? I mean, the kids are out of control. You know, why do they do this? And they're like, I don't know. And it's like, it just came out of me. And then we say, well, that's right, because you have a sin in your heart that it just comes out. You don't even want to do it. And it just comes out, and they understand that. And, of course, we tell them, we say, well, who's the only one who can free you, wash you, take away your sin? Well, Jesus is the only one who can do that. And I think that all of us feel what those little children feel, that whatever besetting sins damage our lives and our relationships, anger or lust or addiction or selfishness, we all feel, I can't say no to these things. I'm a slave to these things. They have control over my life. And Jesus says that the only thing that can set you free from your own sin is the truth. And to be freed from our own sin is the most important freedom that you can experience in this life. If you want to be free, this is what it means to be free. And it's, it's such a profound freedom that Christians throughout history who have been in terrible circumstances have been able to say, no one can take away the freedom that I have in Christ. And I, actually, I was just talking to my father-in-law who's up visiting this weekend, and he's for years been involved in prison ministry. And he was just telling me last night about a, a guy that he's worked with who is in a life, serving a life sentence. He'd murdered two people. He's going to spend his whole life in prison. And he's come to Christ, and he's a believer, and he's come to terms with, you know what? This is my mission field. God put me in this prison, and all the prisoners are going to come through here. They're going to hear the gospel from me. And I got nothing but time to disciple them and take care of them. And I'm, I'm not going to get out of this prison. But, and, and my father-in-law says this. He says, that is freedom. He's free, and he can't even get out of the prison. It's because he's loved. His sins, his guilt is washed away and forgiven. Oh, we got a <laughs> car alarm going off. And uh, he, has, he has freedom. And so... Uh, even though he's trapped in prison, Jesus has given him freedom. He's been freed from his greatest enslavement, his own sin. Now, uh, you might comp someone might complain and they might hear that and say, okay, the guy in prison, he has freedom. Um, but, you know, that can sound overly pietistic. That all Jesus cares about is an inner freedom. And, you know, what about all the oppression in the world? Uh, don't, that people need to be liberated from. And, you know, you could imagine uh, maybe a woman who's in an abusive marriage, who's being beat up, who's being humiliated, who's being manipulated. And she's wondering, what freedom does Jesus have from me? She says, I feel trapped. And you can imagine her, her hearing Jesus say, well, you need to be freed from your sin. Well, that's true. She does need to be freed from her sin. But she needs to be freed from his sin also. And, uh, and so the Bible insists on both of these things, that not only do we need freedom from our own sin, but we also need freedom from the oppression of others. And uh, it's important to notice in verse 31 how it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus is speaking to a, a group of Jews, and uh, of course, you know, living under oppression was a major part of the history of uh, the Israelites. Most famously, they were slaves in Israel for 400 years. And then God liberates them from slavery, and he brings them to the promised land, and he, he says, I'm going to bring you to this promised land, but, uh, but if, you know, if you follow your sinful ways, 
you're going to be find your, you know, and you worship idols, you're going to find yourself slaves again. And you're going to come into exile among these foreign nations. And so much of the history of the Old Testament is that they, for 400 years, they're worshiping idols. And finally the Lord says, well, this is the slavery that's led you into. And so the northern kingdom uh, are taken into exile by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are brutal and oppressive people in the, in the 8th century B.C. And then in 576 B.C., the southern kingdom, the, uh, Judah, is taken into exile by the Babylonians. And then for 500 years, the Jews uh, are under oppressive powers, the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks. And then finally in Jesus' day, they're living under the oppression of the Romans. And so that's why it's, it's strange that when Jesus says the truth will set you free, is, I don't even know what, how, where this response comes from, but they say this in verse 33. The Jews answer, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? He said, you haven't been enslaved to anyone. You've been slaves for like a thousand years to all, like all the world powers of the ancient world. And what we need to remember is that Jesus was a first century Jew. And all of his teaching happens in this context, in this story of the first century Jews. And when you read the Old Testament, you get to the end of Deuteronomy. The Lord says to Israel, if you turn against my law, you will be brought into exile. There's these long descriptions of what the exile will be for the Israelites. And Jesus saw himself as the true king of Israel, who was taking the exile of the Jews upon himself. So he was not just taking away their sin. Because how did Jesus take away their sin? He went to the cross. And you know what the cross was? The cross was the symbol of Roman oppression. You know, whenever there was a revolution, there was an uprising, what would the Romans do? They'd take the leader and they would crucify him. And Jesus, the, you know, the leader of the kingdom of God, comes and he's crucified by the Romans and he's raised from the dead. And Paul says in the New Testament that Jesus was disarming the oppressive powers of the world through his resurrection. He was conquering the oppressive powers. And, uh, and so we see that Jesus' actions, the gospel, ties together these two definitions of freedom and says we both need freedom from our own individual sin, internal freedom. We also need freedom from oppression, external freedom. And so it's, I think it's a mistake uh, to simply say that the truth sets us free in an individualistic, spiritual, and pietistic way. Because for the Jews, their obedience to God and their liberation from their oppressors was all tied up together. Now before, so th that's our answer to what is freedom. But before I move on to my second question, I want to I answer one important question about this first point. Is why do we need both these de definitions of freedom? You know, kind of an internal freedom from my sin, external fr freedom from oppressors. Well, to answer that, I want to read to you the opening paragraph from Karl Marx's uh, Communist Manifesto, and which the Communist Manifesto has had a huge influence on the modern world and the consciousness of the modern world. This is what Marx says. The history of all hitherto uh, existing societies is the history of class struggles. Free man and slave, patrician and plebeian, uh, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large or in the common 
the ruin of the contending classes. What Marx says at the beginning, the lens by understanding human history is the struggle between the oppressed and the oppressor. He says that's how we interpret everything. Now, of course, that's a worldview. And it's a worldview that's incomplete because it has built, it's kind of self-defeating. Because if you say the only narrative of history is there are oppressed, the, the oppressed and the oppressor, then what you're going to do is you're going to give power to the oppressed. And by definition, what does this worldview say they're going to become when they get power? They themselves are going to become oppressors. And over the, last, the 20th century, there was story of story where, uh, you know, an, an oppressed people rises up and they have a revolution and they get in power and they start a regime that's more oppressive than the regime that they overthrew. And, of course, uh, that was the same in Jesus' day. His fellow G- Jews were oppressed by the Romans, who were their oppressors. And they were waiting for a Messiah who was going to start an army and who was going to take on the Romans and finally put them in power. Um, and that's why all the Jews were expecting a Messiah who would be a revolutionary, who would start an army. But Jesus resisted the revolutionary impulse because he knew that by gathering an army to fight the Romans, they were simply becoming like the Romans. The Jews would just become another Rome. The oppressed are always tempted to become like their oppressors. And so they're blind to this. And that's why Marx is incomplete. And this isn't just on the scale of class struggle within nations. This happens in people's individual lives. You know, we've all heard how many abused people themselves become abusers. It's the tragic cycle of sin. And what's amazing about Jesus' message is that he said that both the oppressed and the oppressor both need to repent and turn to him and find true freedom in him. So when we come to the Gospels and we meet someone like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector who uh, intimidated people and robbed them of their money, and he sided with, you know, worked with the Romans, and he meets Jesus, and he gives half his money to the poor, and he goes and finds anyone he defrauded, and he makes it right. He's an oppressor that is being transformed. But then we look at a story that we just read a few weeks ago, the woman caught in adultery who's, you know, dragged, you know, the, all the religious leaders want to stone her. And they're, they're kind of using her for their own purposes. She's being abused. And Jesus scatters all of her, you know, abusers. But then what does he say to her? Go and sin no more. They're both called the repentance. And so our first question is, what is freedom? And Jesus came to bring the fullness of freedom. Two kinds of freedom that must be held together. Freedom from our own sin. That is our deepest slavery is our own sin. And freedom from the oppression of others. The rich and the poor, the oppressor and the oppressed, the abuser and the abused, the powerful and the weak are all called to come and find true freedom in Jesus as his disciples. So that leads to our second question. That's what freedom is. How can we experience the freedom that Jesus is offering. How do we experience it? Well, uh, to answer that, I want to make a couple comments about verse 31. Verse 31 is the, the, the key center of this, uh, this passage. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. How can we experience freedom? Well, a couple of things that Jesus says in this passage. First, he says, 
you must truly be my disciple. And, uh, you know, here are a group of Jews that it says had believed in Jesus, but Jesus says they had not truly become his disciples. And we have to realize as Christians, it's a possibility that we can say we believe in Jesus, um, and, uh, but we do not know his freedom because we are not truly his disciples. It's, it bring, puts all, the question before all of us, are you a, a disciple of Jesus? Are you an apprentice of him? Is he your master who is teaching you his ways? And I wanna, I'm learning to think, I'm learning to feel, I'm learning to speak, I'm learning to act from Jesus. Are you truly his disciple? This passage is putting before us. And Jesus says that the key to becoming a disciple is that you know the truth. And I would say that the truth that, that's being talked about here is the truth of the gospel. It's about Jesus' life, what he's done, what he said. And then, of course, that the gospel, Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' resurrection, the hope of the gospel, which is the centerpiece of the whole Bible, that all the Bible ties together in the person of Jesus. And then taking that gospel and applying it into every area of our life, you know, into our marriage, into our friendships, into our workplace, into our church life, into our neighborhoods, into our hobbies. Everything is touched and influenced by the person of Jesus and the truth that is revealed in him. And what he's saying is you have to learn freedom. You know, our culture has probably overemphasized the need for external freedom. You know, we need freedom from people who are mistreating us. And uh, we're a culture that cares deeply for victims, and which is a good thing. That care for victims came from the Bible. The Bible taught our, our culture to care for victims. But we do not always bestow on victims the dignity of saying, you not only need to be freed from the people who are hurting you, but you need to be transformed as a disciple of Jesus. If you are a victim, you need to be transformed as a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says we have to learn to become free people. It's not automatic for us. It's not natural for us to know how to be free. And so this verse is confronting each of us with the question, are you truly a disciple of Jesus? And, uh, and what is the defining quality of a disciple of Jesus? Well, the second thing that that verse 31 tells us is that you must make your home in Jesus' word. To truly be a disciple, you must make your home in Jesus' word. And you see how he says there, if you abide in my word. And that word abide is to dwell, is to live in a house, to make your home in something. He's saying, you need, my word needs to be like the house that you live in. And, uh, you know, Dale Bruner is a commentator on John. He, he puts it this way. It, it, it is, in short, a decision to make Jesus' word the major factor in one's weak life and home. Because your, your, a home is the place that you're always kind of returning to. You know, when you have a stressful day at work, you're like, I just want to be home. I want to be in my place. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of familiarity. When you're traveling on trips, you're like, I just want to be home. I want to be in my favorite chair. It's the place that puts us at ease and puts us at rest. And the thing about a home, you know, for a place to become your home, it takes time. You know, you don't, you don't just move in and you're like, you know, this feels like at home. It's like when you've lived in a place for 20 years, He's so familiar to you. It's a part of who you are. That's what his word is supposed to be like for us. And, of course, that means that discipleship takes time. You need to take time living in God's word. I mean, God's word is a big thing. You've got a lifetime of living in this. And, uh, and I'll tell you that there is nothing that has made me feel true freedom more deeply than coming to know the Bible. There is nothing 
that will give you more freedom than knowing the words of the Bible and having them live inside of you. And if you're just starting in your journey to make Jesus' word your home, you know, I didn't go to church growing up, and I had a friend. He said, get a Bible and you read it. And you actually can't do that. I know the book is big, and so it's kind of like, where do I start and what do I read? And that's going to take me a while to read that whole thing. Just start with the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read the Gospel of John. Read through the New Testament. New, I think the New Testament's like a fifth of this or a sixth of this. It's, it's not the whole thing. And you say, it's the world-changing literature that will change your life. Read it. Read Genesis or Exodus or the Psalms. And if you say, you know, I'm not studious. It's hard for me to, like, make the Bible reading a daily part of my life. Well, the place to start the Bible does say is then make sure in 2020 you say, you know what, I'm going to be in God's house every Sunday listening to God's word. God has structured into your life this time right here. It's in the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day holy. I mean, it's right up there. It's just like part of being human. It's like, you know, respect life, don't steal, you know, love your family, worship the Lord on the, on the Lord's day, and be in his house and hear his word. Come with an open heart. Come with an attentive mind. Come expectant to hear from God. And I'll tell you, and when you're on vacation, you're out camping, and there's only that little church down the street where there's 10 people there. You know what? I'm showing up with the 10 people, and I'm going to worship with them because I don't go twice a month. I go every Lord's Day to be in his house. It will change your life. It will transform your life. But to truly be a disciple, you have to abide in God's word. You have to live in God's word. And I'll tell you, uh, abiding in the truth gives you both a personal sense of inner freedom. You know, you, you start to know who you are in Christ. But it also gives you a compass for finding external freedom in a way that honors Christ. And, you know, I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I grew up under the thumb of this friend that was, you know, I felt trapped. I couldn't say to him, you're not my friend anymore. I don't know why, for seven years. I didn't tell my parents. My parents didn't even know that I was going through any of this. And uh, I got sent away. I was got away for a year. And I knew for a year I was anticipating I'm going to have to see him and confront him and tell, you know, say something to him. And so I had been reading the Bible and I'd become a Christian and my life had changed. And I remember where I was. I was in front of the office at my high school when I came back. And there he was. He saw me. He's like, Nate, hey, let's hang out. Let's get together. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, what we had wasn't a friendship. That wasn't a friendship. I'm not going to do that anymore. I wish you the best. And I hope you can get this figured out. But we're not going to be friends anymore. And I'll tell you in that moment, if he said, oh, man, wow, I've been a jerk. You're right. Something's wrong with me. I would have talked to him. I would have loved him. Instead, he said, you know, have you told anyone about this? You know, he was worried about his reputation, that I was ruining his reputation. He cared about himself. But I'll tell you, the truth, when it lives inside of you, you know you're loved. And you can now speak the truth to the people around you. You can be honest to the people in a way that's loving. It's not reactionary. That Christ is in you. And this is what the church is. It's a place where the truth is spoken and heard where God speaks the word of truth to us and we speak the truth about our own lives, our own sins. We hear his forgiveness. And of course, our church is not perfect in that. But this is who Jesus is calling us to be. 
a place where people find freedom. They find freedom from their own sins, but they also find a freedom to be loved and to be freed from the people who are mistreating them in their lives. That's what we hope for. This is a refuge. And uh, the way that we find that freedom is by truly being his disciples and making our home in his word. And when we do that, we will know that the truth of Jesus' words in verse 36, where he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know each one of us in our stories or in our present, in our past or in our present, the places that we feel trapped uh, from our own sin and from the sins of others. We pray that your truth would make this community a place of freedom and liberty. We pray that the children who grow up in this community would say that they felt free, they felt the freedom of Jesus and the love of Jesus. We pray that people would come here who would feel trapped and uh, the air would be fresh air, the fresh air of freedom. And uh, we pray that um, the freedom that you give us would not be the, the, the necessarily the freedom that the world promises. We want the freedom that Jesus speaks of here. And so would your truth be spoken in this community? And... Uh, and would we love your truth? Would we make our home in your truth? Would it become so familiar to us? Would it be our place of rest? And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.